97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with 97.3 ESPN.com's Andrew DeCecco. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. You know, we, we recognize the, the ability of the roster that's, that's put together right now. And I think we have the ability to do something really special uh, with this group, but it's going to take a lot of hard work. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast, and it is brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now to match your first deposit. Up to $250. Tonight, it's Eagles and Seahawks. We got matchups to watch. Storylines galore. Andrew DeCecco is here for football at four. See what I did there? Some sort of rhyme. I didn't even try to do it. It just kind of came out that way. It flowed. Andrew DeCecco. Let's bring him in to the Boardwalk Honda Hotline as we get ready for the Eagles and Seahawks with a ton to dive into. Andrew, hope your Thanksgiving was well, my man. How are you? Good afternoon, Mike and Hunter. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well, and I hope uh, both of you guys had a safe, healthy Thanksgiving. We sure did. It's good to have you back as uh, we get ready for this game tonight. A couple matchups to watch we will get into when we look at this one, but let's get into some of the storylines around this team. One, the decision uh, about Jalen Hurts, that he's gotten more practice time and that there's a possibility that we could see him more. I don't know how this works out well for the Eagles other than, hey, Hurts plays pretty well, and then they have to make a decision moving forward here. Uh, but what is your take on the reports that have come out suggesting that Hurts is getting you know a bigger role in the offense potentially starting tonight? Well, all signs point to Carson having to take a back seat if Jalen Hurts plays well. I mean, I've always been of the belief that Jalen should be given a, a series to really show what he can do versus these gadget plays that don't really seem to have any kind of – they don't really give any, the offense really anything. Um, I thought that he really deserved the chance given Carson's struggles. Now, tonight, if he plays well, then I think all of a sudden it presents a whole different set of problems. And I think that when you look at Carson – he might need some time on the sideline to recalibrate, look at the game from a different perspective, and hopefully get back out there next week and attack practice differently and, and be the quarterback that he, he has been for much of his career here in Philadelphia. Right, and obviously this looks to me like a situation where, you know, hey, the season's off the rails. We've got to play Hurts more because Wentz is struggling so much. But I don't know about you, Andrew. Do you see any scenario where they put on the big boy pants and make a decision to say, you know what, Carson, we've made a decision. Jalen Hurts has passed you on the depth chart. I mean, the contract says they cannot do it. Yeah, the contract says they can do it. But what I think will happen is if Jalen comes in tonight and plays well, then it's going to be interesting to see how Carson responds in practice this week. Does he – does he take a, a different approach to practice? Is he is he fired up? Is he is he? Are you seeing the the Carson once of old that kind of signifies okay we're going to move forward with Carson this week? He seems to have gotten the message, or is it going to be another thing where we put him out there? He doesn't perform well. Okay, we're going to sit you down again for an extended period of time now, and now Jalen goes in. I still think that. They need, you know, regardless of what Jalen Hurts does tonight, they got to move forward with Carson Wentz because of his contract says so. But also, there's going to be some wholesale changes here, Mike, and then you really want to see what what he looks like with those changes. 
Do you, do you think that Doug noticed that Seattle has the worst pass defense in the NFL and decided, huh, maybe this is a good opportunity for Jalen Hurts considering he only has two pass attempts in his 31 snaps? Well, timing is everything, Hunter, and I think right now it's sort of lined up that way. I, I do think that it was going to happen inevitably this week regardless because, one, you need to see what – you need Carson to take a step back and, and view the game differently from a different perspective because – it's just not – they're trotting him out there every week and the results are the same. That's the definition of insanity, right? And I do think that you need to look at and a bigger picture. You need to see – the Eagles need to see what they have in Jalen Hurts towards the end of the season because where they're sitting at right now, the top eight pick, you may need to get a quarterback if you realize that he isn't the guy. So I think that you need to get an extensive look at him to see what you really have moving forward. Well, hold on a second here. Now, you just said something that perked my interest. Yours in the top eight. You said talking about picking a quarterback. You have one signed for $168 million and, and, and whatever you got to still pay him, whatever his cap hit is. You drafted one in the second round last year. Now you have a top eight pick. You're thinking about taking another quarterback. Is that a possibility? I certainly wouldn't take it off the table, but they need to see what they have at Jalen Hurts first. Otherwise, you go into the 2021 season with a quarterback in Carson Wentz who really hasn't performed to standard, and then you have a large question mark in Jalen Hurts. Uh, I think Jalen Hurts, in my, in my opinion, I think he's going to be a good quarterback in the NFL, but the Eagles need to see they need to see that transpire onto the field and, and see some sort of, okay, we know what we have in Jalen. We can move forward with him comfortably. All right, so what if Wentz plays well tonight and Hurts never sees the field? I mean, then that's the best I, case scenario, right? That's the best case scenario. But that's why this report is so odd to me. Is that what are they going to force feed Hurts? Do they have scripted plays ready for him to go? It just seems that this is it's just such an awkward situation. I mean, I don't understand why. Hey, guess what? We're going to play Hurts more. Like it just doesn't. There just doesn't seem to be an any win situation for them. If 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 he plays well, then you're going to have people asking for him. If if Wentz doesn't play well, and you play Hurts. You didn't play him enough. I mean, it just seems that this is a no-win situation for them. Yeah, it is a no-win situation. And my approach would be to play Carson Wentz the entire game. Playing Jalen Hurts for a little bit of time, splitting you know, splitting the snaps or whatever it is, that's not going to benefit anyone. Roll with If you're going to go with Hurts, then start Hurts. If you're going to stay with Wentz, then, then keep him in the lineup. I don't necessarily think that taking some swapping guys in and out of the lineup, that's not going to be good for Jalen Hurts' growth, nor is it going to be good for Carson Wentz's psyche and possibly uh, team morale. Right, um, and, and then I, and then you you're know. in a situation where what if the Hurts kid plays well and, you know, and then you're not going to play? It just seems that I don't know why they would do this to themselves, but um, they have a messy situation going on because let me ask you this. Is there any scenario into it? To, Sal Powell earlier said if the Eagles win three or four games, he doesn't see Stug surviving that. So is there any scenarios here where they would just say, look, we're starting over. We're getting rid of the quarterback. We're getting rid of the coach. We're getting rid of the GM. Because it didn't seem like a couple of weeks ago that we felt that things would be that drastic. Right, and I, do, I agree with Sal Powell. I, I don't see a way where Doug can survive a three- or four-win season. Um, I don't think that they move on from Carson Wentz. I think that they're going to move forward with him. Now, I do think that if they really struggle at the end of the season, they don't. The team doesn't looks relatively life, lifeless, and you don't really get. A, you're not getting the the elevated play from from anyone, and people 
keep regressing. I do think that they're going to move on from Carson Wentz and from Howie Roseman and, and have a clean slate with the quarterback. That's kind of the way that I see things shaking out. Is it possible that Doug is being forced to maybe use Hurts more? I know that on Chris Long's podcast, he brought up the relationship between Carson Wentz and Jeffrey Lurie. So maybe it's not coming from Lurie, but Howie Roseman, there's been conversations about him having impact on who dresses in the 53-man roster on game day and things of that nature. I I just wonder, I'm trying to look at every possible path. Mm -hmm. Is it possible he's being forced a bit to maybe utilize him more because, well, they valued him in the second round? Yeah, I look at that angle as well, Hunter, and you kind of read between the lines and, and the disconnect in his press conference and his answers, and you say Carson's the guy, and, and now all of a sudden you're, you're giving Jay Hurts an extensive package, and even what he said about Jason Peters, he's our left tackle, and then two days later you're moving him to right guard, and now this news is coming out that he had a dislocated toe that's going to require surgery. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of disconnect between the front office and Doug Peterson, and it wouldn't surprise me, Hunter, if if there if he was faced with a little bit of pressure. Um, I mean, even 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 in the early season activation, that that kind of raised the red flag to me that maybe he was being asked to he was maybe being forced to to activate Jalen Hurts early when he really wasn't really ready to have a have a package. I believe it was in week two, um, but yeah, that that's something that definitely crossed my mind. Let's uh, switch to that real fast. Peters is moving to guard. The original thought would be he was not playing very well. Um, they had a kid, Mylotta, who had handled the position. Many people thought they should have just made this move when Peters was ready to return. Um, Peterson had kind of said, no, he's playing well. So why are you moving him? Well, Lane Johnson got hurt. Well, and today it's revealed, well, he's got a dislocated toe, a broken toe he's been playing with, that he's going to continue to play with this. So... Why did they move Jason Peters to right guard? And should they have played him at tackle? Should he be playing at all? Well, if you remember the, the conversation that you and I had before the season, we both agreed that Jason Peters at right guard would be a good addition for the offensive line just from his standpoint of he's 38 years old. You're, you're sort of playing in a phone booth. He's a very strong guy, physical guy, can really – you know, he can act as a road grader in the running game. And I think I thought that that was always the best move for Jason. Now I think that his play is so indefensible on, on the on the outside and it's hurting the team. Like we talked about veteran players that the team is attached to, that they're, they're starting to hurt the team more than help the team. And I think that it got to that point. And I, I also think that maybe Jason didn't – maybe there's a case where Jason wasn't completely forthcoming with his injury. Maybe he downplayed it a little bit. Maybe the Eagles downplayed it a little bit. And now it got to the point where it was too severe for them to cover it up anymore. And it was really show, showing up, obviously, last week, as we saw um, against the Cleveland Browns, where they couldn't hide it anymore. I tweeted this out sarcastically when I saw the news that Adam Schefter tweeted out about the broken, dislocated toe. What could go wrong? I think a lot could go wrong. <laughs> what do you think about him moving to right guard playing on this toe? Is there a better option out there? Maybe Nate Herbig? Yeah, Hunter. I mean, now you're talking about somebody playing with a dislocated toe. I don't know. Obviously, playing on the inside and the interior, you don't have mobility isn't isn't as prevalent as playing on the outside when you're playing on, on the edge. And you have yet to deal with these different you know, subtleties. But I, I, I have to think that you're going to be – you can't be nearly as effective as a guy like Nate Herbig, who, who is who, – who does have that finger injury. But um, he's played fairly well. Why not just go with Nate Herbig, sit Jason Peters down, uh, instead of, you know, kind of going back to an injured well, player? Well, hold on real quick, Andrew. 
I would agree, but we're, two weeks ago they told us that Sue Opeta had outperformed Herbig. I don't know how quickly Nate Herbig could have fallen out of favor with his coaching staff, but I, I mean, I, I, I like Sue Opeta going into the, in the 2019 or uh, 2019 draft, and he has some qualities. But but Mike, Nate Herbig's clearly outplayed Sue Opeta. I don't. I believe that the word that Jeff Stoutland used was Sue Opeta has been playing outstanding. Uh, that's not that's not what we saw on the field. What what they saw and what what we saw watching the game um, as a, as objective observers were two entirely different things. And um, I'm not. I know that Nate Herbig isn't the most athletic lineman. That's not what he doesn't really fit the mold of what Jeff Stoutland likes. He's more of a um, more of a you know guy that's going to generate movement in the running game. Doesn't really is not going to get to that second level climb to that second level with uh, it doesn't have that athleticism. But I mean he, he's played fairly well. And when you're looking at at an undrafted player like him, he's exceeded expectations and you've already shaken up the line so many times. Why not just stick with someone who's proven that he can do it at a, at a, at a decent level? Yo, believe me, I, I was shocked to hear that that was the reasoning that Opeta had just passed him because I thought Herbig of all the guys seemed like, okay, he's not anything special, but he just competes and that mm-hmm. they liked him. They liked him enough that he played right guard out of right field to begin with. It was like, Hey, this kid Herbig's going to play right guard. You're like, why the heck did Herbig start over prior? Remember week one, that was the conversation, and he was terrible, had a rough day, and then he kind of settled in to the point that they trusted him the most to move him to left guard to make prior feel more comfortable at right guard. So it was a totally that they trusted this guy, and then all of a sudden, Sue Opeta jumped. It, it was ridiculous uh, how they've handled this whole situation, but uh, Mylot is going to play left tackle. They're going to have – now, I was surprised at this. Let me get your thoughts, uh, Decheco. They're going to play prior at right tackle over Driscoll. That's another thing, Mike, that I, I wanted to address on today's show. Jack Driscoll is, ha, has proven – I believe he started week one, if I recall correctly, and he played, and he held up all right. And I thought that he showed signs of a player that's worth developing for the future. Certainly he, he showed me more than what Matt Pryor has shown me this season. Matt Pryor has struggled at tackle. He struggled at guard. He, he, he is what he is. He's a rotational player. He's a, he's a fringe roster player. He probably won't be here next year. He shouldn't be here next year. Jack Driscoll is a player that could factor into the equation moving forward. I think his ultimate, his, ultimately his role will be as a guard versus a tackle. Um, so to not go to him right now when you really want to evaluate and, and he's outperformed Matt Pryor – is another puzzling uh, is another puzzling decision. Yeah, what scares me is we're saying that about three thousand different things with this football team. A lot of things are just not adding up. Now, how hmm. concerned should we be about Kelsey's injury? Now, I know he's a warrior and he'll play through anything, but it seems like it might be getting to that point where you should be concerned with his play because you know he could barely strap up his helmet last week. Yeah, and, and you know, hats off to Jason Kelsey for being that warrior and the, that constant on the offensive line when everything was going to shambles around him. He was that steady presence there, and and he for most of the season, outside of you know the last couple of weeks, he really has been playing at a, at a at a at a relatively high level, given the circumstances of everything that he's dealing with. And um, I, you know, if you if you're if you're Isaac Sayamalu, I, I think that going into this week, you have to be a little bit on guard. I mean. Uh, Luke Jurega went in last week, and and he was kind of thrown in there. But uh, I, I mean, now that you now that you know what you're dealing with, and you know that this is a re- legitimate possibility. I think the best option there would be to 
to get uh, Isaac Samalo in there. But, I mean, you know, Luke Jurega, he, he I'm sure he got a lot more opportunities in practice this week because a lot of these guys are going to have to be on standby now given the de- the delicacy of the situation. Well, there's uh, all that, and then, of course, uh, they've got Seattle tonight. Let's get into some matchups to watch uh, from Andrew DeCecco over at 97.3 ESPN.com. We told you, um, you know, obviously – DK Metcalf is a huge problem, but they've got another guy in Tyler Lockett that's a big problem. So what does this secondary look like tonight against Metcalf and Lockett? You have Maddox and Lockett as a big matchup tonight, but it seems that um, anybody matched up against uh, Maddox is a big problem, and you wonder if the Eagles, they've been making thoughts about moving guys. Is it going to be Maddox that gets a lot of the snaps? I mean, it's kind of dire straits there at the cornerback spot outside of uh, Darius Slay, who's going to undoubtedly have D.K. Metcalf have his hands full with him. D.K. Metcalf is pretty much matchup-proof outside of that uh, that outing that he had with Jalen Ramsey. I mean, his his rapid ascent to becoming among the, the most feared deep threats in football has been remarkable. Looking at Tyler Lockett, the best option that the Eagles have outside of Slay, unfortunately, is Avante Maddox. And Maddox has been you know, a desirable target from opposing quarterbacks. Lockett's had 25 targets over the past three weeks. He scored a touchdown on Thursday night football. Um, and, and we've seen that connection that he has with Russell Wilson. And, and that, they can, that can quickly spiral out of control if, they, if, you know, if, if Maddox isn't up to the task. Because when Maddox struggles, Mike, it's, it's from poor eye discipline. If he's, if he's even off a, a, a beat, they're going to make him pay. He does have the short area quickness to kind of, to kind of match a mirror with, with Lockett, but he, he struggles from an eye discipline standpoint. And with a player like Lockett, that's not going to get it done. How does Chris Carson change this offense for Seattle? He changed the entire identity of the offense because Chris Carson is actually one of the most underrated running backs in football. He really is. He was a seventh-round pick. Nobody really expected much out of him, but he's been that, that, that hammer between the tackles, the chain mover. He can catch the football a little bit. He, he's done a lot for, for the Seahawks, and he, he's, a, he's a load to, to bring down. And I think when you look at the linebacking situation that the Eagles have, they struggle with Wayne Gallman. And, you know, if, if Chris Carson gets to the second level, he's a bigger guy, and he starts to pound on these smaller linebackers that aren't adept to, making, to bringing these guys down one-on-one. And, um, he's he's kind of going to be that goal line guy, and but he's also going to be somebody that can that can run the clock down in the latter stages of the game. And he, you know, he's a volume runner. So what he tends to do is that when he gets going early, he starts to wear guys down little by little until he breaks a big one. And now having him instead of the Carlos Hyde's and DJ Dallas's of the world, it, it's going to change their their identity immensely. Uh, Mylotta tonight's got his hands full. Dunlap's been a big impact for them. So how do you see that matchup? That's going to be problematic because if you remember back to week three, Carlos Dunlap wreaked havoc on the Eagles. He had a quarterback hit. He had four pressures, nine tackles. They can move him around a little bit. He plays the Leo role, which is the weak side defensive end role for Seattle on their defense. But he's their best pure pass rusher. And he's, you know, he's 31 years old. He's been around a while. So he has that veteran savvy, and he's very fast and athletic and long. Jordan Mailata matches up a little bit better than Jason Peters would just from an athletic standpoint. But, the experience of Dunlap and and some of this, and, and his vast array of pass rush moves make it a very difficult task for Jordan Mailata tonight. If you're the Eagles offensively, how do you approach this game? How are you going to start this offense? Is it Miles Sanders and opening up the game plan from there? 
Yep, that's what I. That's exactly what I do. When you have a struggling quarterback like the Eagles do with Carson Wentz, and you have a running back like Miles Sanders who's, who's been criminally underutilized in this offense. Get him going in the running game. Now, I will say that Seattle, their strength on defense is against the run, but you you have to get those. See what you can get going. Um, against the run, run behind Jason Peters, get that, go between the tackles and see what you can do with Miles Sanders. Um, and then attack, you have to attack the secondary. Travis Fogum, it has to be an X factor in tonight's game going against Trey Flowers, who's a longer corner, but he does have his lapses in coverage. You have to find ways to move around Travis Fogum and get him into the game. Or he's a volume receiver, and that's really He's been criminally underutilized, just like Miles Sanders has in the offense, and I, I think that he's going to be another X factor because they're they're a little bit stronger uh, at the safety position, but you can really attack them on the perimeter. If Fulgham cannot get going tonight, this is a terrible pass defense. If they can't get him, is, is the message that maybe he was kind of a flash in the pan and people have figured him out and there's a reason he's been kind of released and bouncing around because people are starting to say, hey, you know, he's starting to struggle because teams are figuring him out. That, that's a that's a great question, Mike, and that's something that I've gotten pretty much all week. And the way that I see that is, yes, they, the Eagles haven't utilized him until like late the latter stages of the game, and they haven't been very creative in how they get him the football, moving him around, taking advantage of his versatility. That said, when Fogum has had his opportunities, he's dropped the football, and there's other times where he's just, frankly, he's just not open, Mike. And I think that four-game sample size that we saw was – the league did, simply didn't have any tape on him, and now that there is tape on him, they, he, they know how to defend him and, and how to attack his weaknesses. And you're starting to see that maybe this is kind of just who he is. Maybe he is the guy that's bounced around from multiple teams, and, and that's why, because there's deficiencies in his game. Doug made a comment about Alshon Jeffrey maybe being in the game plan more. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, what I saw out of those five snaps, specifically the one that led to an interception, this guy doesn't care right now. I mean, how can you possibly take guys off the field for Alshon Jeffrey? It makes no sense. Try, try to think like Doug here without getting a migraine. Um, I think that they would. his thought process behind that would be to get another veteran that's worked with Carson in the past to maybe help him get in some semblance of a rhythm on offense. But you're right, Hunter. Just watching him lumber and labor through his routes in and out of his breaks, he doesn't he doesn't give the offense anything first and foremost, but also it doesn't seem like he really has, he really wants to be out there and, and give maximum effort. Um, I think that you'd be better, better suited and, you know, rolling out a guy like John Hightower, chucking up a deep pass and, and try to really stretch and take advantage of that for a secondary versus having a guy out there who's kind of just laboring through, um, laboring through his routes and just seems disinterested. Give me a guy tonight that the matchup favors Philly that can help them win the game. Um, I think you can take advantage of Dallas Goddard down the seam, and I think he needs to be someone that you utilize. I also think that Richard Rodgers is going to continue his hot streak as well if the offense is to get on track. I think he's going to kind of surprise some people and and, and make some plays again. All right. Uh, you can check out more on tonight's matchups, uh, Eagles and Seahawks, 97.3 ESPN.com, Andrew DeCecco. Uh And you look at tonight's game, you know, it's not a must-win situation. If they lose, they're still in play for the division, and we've talked about, you know, Doug Peterson, it sounds like now he's got to start winning some games. It's not like, hey, let's get a draft pick and Doug's going to be fine. Sal Powell said earlier, he can't survive possibly a three- and four-win season, so he has got to start chalking up some wins, show ownership that I can still resonate with this group of guys. So, Andrew, tonight, 
Is this the night where we say, where has that been all season, or is it more of the same? Unfortunately, Mike, I think that if we were to we're going to say that, I think we would have said that a couple of weeks ago. Not now when their backs are against the wall, really, and they're on their – they're pretty much on their last uh, – he, he seems to be like on his the, – the days are dwindling here, and you kind of see his demeanor in his press conferences. Like, he, he seems to know that that the end could very well be near. And I think, unfortunately, it's going to be the same lackluster, stale offense that we've seen uh, throughout the season. All right. Uh, he's Andrew DiCecco, A. DiCecco, NFL tonight, Eagles and Seahawks. And, of course, uh, he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda hotline. Andrew, thanks, pal. You got it, guys. Take care. All right. Uh, there you go. He likes Seattle tonight and uh, likes them pretty handily. If you go to InsideTheBirds.com, uh, the Inside the Birds podcast tonight, the pregame show starts at 5 o'clock. Andrew has Eagles losing tonight 31-20. to That is his pick over at InsideTheBirds.com. And you can check out his matchups to watch in this game. At 97.3 ESPN.com. Andrew DeCecco at 97.3 ESPN.com. So, a lot to dive into. We got anytime hotline calls on tonight's game. We're going to play and react to those coming up. Plus, I want to get some takes from, we are at the mid, a little bit past the midseason. The Athletic did a survey on the broadcast on a bunch of different broadcast questions that I'm interested in the results here and I want to get your take on as well. 609-403-0973 609-403-0973 That's the text board. Hit us up there. On the other side, we will play Anytime Hotline Calls next. From 2 to 6, South Jersey's number one sports talk radio show on 97.3 ESPN-FM. All right, we'll get you ready for the Eagles and Seahawks continuing the Anytime Hotline calls. We will find out what you guys think about this game tonight. You heard from Ron Jaworski earlier, Sal Palantonio, Brady Henderson, who covers Seattle. We want to hear from you guys now. 609-403-0973 is the text board. 609-403-0973 is the text board. Sports Bash is brought to you by... Recovery Centers of America Drug and Alcohol Addiction Treatment Centers are located in Mays Landing, New Jersey, and in Devon, PA. Now, I would imagine these are going to be pretty negative. If I had to guess, yes, you probably are correct. Like, most of these people are going to be like, let's see, Hurts, I want to move on, I'm ready to move on, that kind of uh, rhetoric. You, You agree? I wonder if we'll get someone, though, who goes with the mindset of, just when you count this team out, but here's my problem with that. That would have been the Browns game, or that would have been maybe the Ravens or Pittsburgh, one of those two. I feel that is over with. They they might win another game within this six-game stretch, but that's not the, well, when you count this team out type of vibe. All right, this was earlier today. Sal Palantonio said this on the Sports Bash. As you know, I'm very close to Doug, and um, you know I've always been a big supporter of what he does, but I don't think he survives a three-win season. I don't think he survives a four-win season based now based on what I'm hearing now. I don't think he survives a three-win season. I don't think he survives a four-win season based on what I'm hearing now. Broads, their schedule coming up. They've got Seattle tonight. They've got Green Bay next week. They play the Saints after that. They've got Arizona after that. Then Dallas and Washington. If they get just two Dallas and Washington, and we're just giving them Dallas and Washington, they're, they're not gimmies. That gets you to five. Is five good enough? 
See, I don't want to sound too hypocritical because I've clearly been someone who has been devastated with what Doug Peterson has done this season, but I know there's more in there. I know he's better than this. So to me, one three and four win season, even though I find it unacceptable, I don't necessarily think that's the right move at the same time. I don't want to sound hypocritical because I think Doug Peterson has been a monstrous issue this season. But one year of it being this bad, does that mean that's who he is forever? Just like I don't think this is Carson Wentz forever. I'm not willing to just kick him to the curb and never look at him again. I feel the same way about this coach. I I would be a little upset if Jeffrey Lurie made that rash decision right off the top. Wow. All right. Let's see what you guys think of the Anytime Hotline. Let's start it off with this. Well, we can pretty much figure out the Carson Wentz stat line. Let's go about 27 of 40. 285 yards, we'll give him two touchdowns, three picks, two near picks, a fumble, and five sacks. That's what we have to look forward to Monday night. And also watching the Eagles chase after Russell Wilson, the modern-day Fran Tarkenton, as he avoids the rush and throws 80 yards down the field on the run to Tyler Lockett. We never beat Seattle anyway. We'll go 27 to 17 Seahawks. Doesn't think, uh, it feels like he feels like he could be a sleeper on halftime. How about this? 27 to 40. Talk about a completion percentage boost. Jeez. You heard what Jaws said, though. I mean, you can't complete upper 60%. You're not a starting caliber quarterback in this league. I've been saying that all year long. I mean, that to me is the most telling number of everything. Is the completion percentage is just so. Bad that something's there. All right. Anytime hotline. To be honest, I don't have any faith in the Eagles winning this game. They're 0-5 against Russell Wilson, even the one year where they made it to the Super Bowl and won. The team that they lost to, the Seahawks, couldn't beat them. They have a trash defense, but still, their offense is just too explosive that I think that it will be very hard to win this game. I'd be, I'd be glad to see... Maybe Jalen Rager have a good game. Maybe a little spark plug for games to come. Miles Sanders have a good game. If they lose by, like, one possession, I'll be happy, to be honest. This game is unwinnable for the Eagles. I don't see any way that they will win this game at all. No faith. How about this? He mentioned Jalen Rager. I watched the 49ers game a little bit yesterday with Red Zone, and the way that they use Debo Samuel, get him the ball quick, let him work in space. We mentioned this with the Greg Ward plays that he went with last week. Why can't we let Jalen Rager utilize his speed in other ways than just, hey, go long and stretch the field? You can get him the ball quickly so he can then use his speed to make plays. You saw that happen with the 49ers, and they beat the Rams. Why can't we go down that road with Jalen Ray? I've asked that a lot, even, you know, just accentuating the positives of what you have. Forget what you don't have. What do I have? And let me use them in the best way possible. So if I have a guy who maybe doesn't run great routes, how can I utilize what he does do well? He's quick. He's fast. All right. Then let me go there. Let me start with that. I don't feel that this team does a good enough job. Look, quite frankly, you look around the league and see this all the time. Look at what's going on in Tampa right now. They're blaming Arians because he's not calling the right games for Tom Brady. Hey, no play action for Brady. Too many long shots down the field. There's just this constant like, you know, battle between play caller 
and and quarterback in that spot. Well, they've got guys that are big play guys down the field. Maybe they went and got the wrong quarterback. Wow, can you imagine that, Tom Brady, being the wrong quarterback? I get what you're saying, though. You're right. It's like here you have these playmakers who that's what they do best, right. but it's not working out in that way. Yeah. What do you do? How do you adjust? He's accentuating the positives of what he has. I got Mike Evans. I got Chris Godwin. These are guys that are explosive big play guys, and I want to get them down the field. Well, you didn't bring a quarterback in who's best at pushing the ball down the field. You brought a guy who's more accurate and and better on the short game. You have receivers, though, who are more explosive, so you got a weird dynamic there. The Eagles now have to figure out, how can I get these this group of receivers into better positions? I don't. I agree. I don't see them do enough bubble screen. They call a bubble screen. They call it to Greg Ward. Well, that's not accentuating the positives of Greg Ward's game, right? Yeah, the screens in general are a problem. And, and I know Wentz has been struggling with hitting his target, but it goes deeper for me that this screen game gets blown up and it's red instantly as soon as you call the play. Like, that is a problem where other teams are sniffing out this screen game way too quickly to the point where we got to dive deeper than just Wentz is struggling to hit his running backs. The, the standard screen game, you got to get more out of it. The way the There's no way that it could be this poor with the personnel that you have all right let's get another anytime hotline call here and uh get your reaction on the eagles and seahawks we got this man we're gonna crush seattle the defense is terrible they have no running game carson wentz don't light their ass up all you eagle fans are you want to get rid of doug peterson what do you want to go back to chip kelly how about that how about those years buddy you're not getting rid of this coach if you don't like the eagles why don't you fall because the Eagles are going to take this game, and we're going to win the division, and all you Eagle fans are going to be eating How about that, big boy? I'm, I'm almost lost for words, Gil. What do you got? <laughs> what do you got? The, I mean. The guy's nuts. I feel like all of a sudden the Eagles became an SEC football team. Explain. Just guy seemed like a very uh, fanatical little, uh, you know, now, what bothers me is, do I want to go back to the Chip Kelly years? No, I don't. And first off, I, I just said this. I don't even want – I think Doug deserves one more year to battle out of this thing. But let's say they go down that road where they do make a coaching change. I would like the Andy Reid era. Why has it got to be Chip? Yeah, Chip was a mistake. Andy Reid wasn't. So why does it have to be Chip Kelly? I don't want Chip Kelly. I want the Andy Reid era. Can we find that? Well, Laurie has done that in the past, so why can't we? Well, many have argued that's why Doug is here to re-bring back that feeling of Andy. You know, I want to bring this. This is something I thought about, actually, because people have been getting on Howie and about the way they build the team, right? I want to remind you, remind you that the Eagles are very tied to the Andy Reid era. That's why Peterson, and they still have the pieces, Jeff Laurie, Howie Roseman. Andy Reid, who is still building teams in Kansas City with a lot of success. What is Andy Reid's recipe to building teams? He does it on the interiors of the line. Andy Reid also doesn't value wide receivers and linebackers. He goes out and gets builds offensive line. He feels like you have a franchise quarterback, you build the line in front of him, and then everybody else you can find in the third round, fourth round, fifth round, 
He never put a value or or premium on wide receivers when he was with Philadelphia. He never put a value or premium on the linebacker position when he was here. He he put a premium on offensive line, defensive line. Their secondary, they went out the one year in the secondary. They got Lito Shepard and Sheldon Brown, and then that was they didn't do anything else. They just had those two guys for the run of that thing. So the Eagles are very much following the Andy Reid blueprint on how to build their football team. That's why they don't want to draft Jalen Rieger. They don't want to draft J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. They don't want to have to, and they kind of got out of their con- – so you ask, why can they not draft this position very well? That's their blueprint is that's not a position that we put a lot of value on. We feel they feel that they should find a guy in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth round that just play like that. That turns out to be a diamond in the rough. You know what I mean? They don't want to put a high premium on those positions. Well, maybe they can learn from the past and adapt a little bit. Not to this crazy degree where that's the only thing they value, but, you know, they learn from some mistakes and they take some great things out of Andy and they can combine their own new philosophy with it. And, look, I just said I would like Andy Reid back here. The sustained success is something that I value. But I just wonder, just to play a little bit of the other side of that with Andy Reid, would that get the job done if they didn't arguably have one of the best quarterbacks we will ever see in the history of the sport. I don't know if that recipe would work because that's his only Super Bowl, right? And it came with Pat Mahomes, who we can all agree is a legitimate stud. Would that philosophy, now he got to the Super Bowl with McNabb, with that mindset, although T.O. in the mix and all, but you know, would that philosophy work if you didn't have a Mahomes and you had more of, let's say, an above-average quarterback? But, again, it goes back to it's predicated on having that quarterback. Carson Wentz is supposed to be, you might say, he's not as good as Mahomes. Fine. When you draft a guy number two overall, he better be in the conversation. Whether he's as good, no. But he should be closer to Mahomes and Rodgers and that group of guys than he is to Daniel Jones. Sure. No doubt about it. So there you go. They said... We took the we took the necessary measures to move up in the draft to go get the quarterback. We have that guy. Now we're building the team. We have an offensive line. We've got this offensive line that we put a lot of money in. Lane Johnson, Brandon Brooks, Jason Kelsey, Isaac Sayamala, Jason Peters. We drafted Andre Dillard in the first round. That's where we've invested all this time and money to protect that quarterback so that we don't have to put all this money into these positions because the quarterback's job with this line blocking is to elevate their play and make them better not working just to have a little bit of fun you know we rip the whole jj ortega whiteside and dk metcalf stuff and jeremy chin had two touchdowns yesterday and everyone's tying that to jalen hurts because he was a name surrounding that uh you know in that area of the draft imagine being the bears moving up to get trubisky right and you passed on Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. I, look, I I don't care about other franchises. I only care about the Eagles. But whew, we would we can't even live down this wide receiver conversation. Imagine what it's like there in Chicago after it's last. Gotta be night. the worst worst decision in the history of the draft. No doubt, it's bad. Anytime, it's bad. anytime hotline. This is Seth from Virginia. Seahawks are gonna walk all over us. This one's gonna be a hundred and seventy. To zero. We have no chance of stopping Russell Wilson. Not a f- chance. <laughs> Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, it's not even going to be a competition. Carson Wentz is going to be looking lost. So, in other words, typical s- 
Sunday, or in this case, Monday, watching this scene play. Go Birds. Well, he at least uh, had enough energy at the end there to throw in a Go Birds. So sad to hear the Go Birds in that type of tone. Right. I think this is a Tyler Lockett game, though. You know, I really do. I think that's going to be the difference maker in this one. Tyler Lockett. All right. Uh, we'll have more anytime hotline calls coming up in about 15 minutes from now. On the other side, though, I want to ask you the NFL survey and get your answers and see how they match up with this uh, survey from The Athletic. Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. Your thoughts on the game tonight, 609-403-0973. Casey Joyner, one thought every game tonight at 520. Turn it on. Leave it on. The Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Sports Bash tonight. It's Monday Night Football. It's the Eagles and the Seahawks. And, of course, we got plenty more on that. We'll have more anytime hotline calls we'll react to. Casey Joyner, one thought every game coming up. So the Athletic did their uh, survey on the broadcasts. All right? So I want to get some of your takes on uh, the results of this broadcast. They surveyed nearly 3,000 people of fans. All right? Uh, here's the first question. Get your answer. Which network do you prefer when it comes to game broadcasts? CBS, ESPN, Fox, NBC, NFL Network. I'm torn between Fox and CBS, but I think I like the CBS broadcast the most. You go CBS. All right. So uh, CBS, 41%. NBC, Sunday Night Football, 32%. Fox was 21 ESPN, by the way. Uh, them in the NFL Network, they don't, they didn't have the numbers there, but uh, both very small. I don't like something's the ESPN broadcast, the the presentation, the graphics. I don't know what it is. It just does it like NBC to me is the best. The Sunday I like night NBC fo- as well. The Sunday night football one. Okay, I, I like. I feel I like that CBS because if it gives you that four twenty five, see Sunday night football all right we got work in the morning it's getting late if you get a 425 romo game it's like it's still middle of the day you still have a good time of the night left this is a good football game i think that plays a role into how i feel about it as i'm well. just like, talking about night yet i'm just talking about the presentation of the game the the graphics the video the christmas stuff, whatever it is espn just doesn't feel like a big time prime t- something just doesn't feel right i'm with you on that no doubt and i wonder if a lot of it has to do with, okay, Steve Levy. Well, you're accustomed to hearing him with some college football games at noon. Like, do you tie that with what you're watching? It's almost like it doesn't match the NFL game. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because the next question, do you like ESPN's new Monday Night Football booth? Now, I like it more than what it was. So I do think it's a step in the right direction. I love Riddick. I think he's a very smart football mind, so I think he's strong. He lacks some personality at times, but he's a good football mind. I think it's better than what you got last year, but you can still improve. So 60% said yes, 39% said no. I think Riddick's solid. Greasy talks too much. They feel like it's too scripted. Like, Greasy, you talk first, and then Riddick, if you have something to say. I don't feel like they found their way yet, but it's not horrendous. You're right. The other games would actually mute it. I would honestly mute it at times. This isn't mutable. This is still, I I want the volume up. And I agree that Levy doesn't give you big game feel. Yeah, I think he's good at what he does. I really do. I think he's a good play-by-play host, but I don't know if he fits the NFL. Uh, Which NFL broadcasting team is your favorite? 
What does that kind of combine with this? Oh, so the first question was more just presentation, more so than the people? Yeah, which network do you like best? Now, this could be any broadcasting team. The the, okay. the results were uh, Hannah Storm and Andrea Kramer. They do the game on Amazon. Jim Nance, Tony Romo, Ian Eagle, Charles Davis, Steve Levy, Greasy Riddick, Buck and Aikman, Michaels, Collinsworth, Harlan and Warner on Westwood One Radio. Now, I'm going to go with Nance and Romo, although I really do enjoy Joe Buck. I think the, the criticism that he gets is ridiculous, and it's unbelievable in the wrong direction. But I like Nance and Romo. Close as Buck. I'm a Bucksman. Uh, I like, I, look, I like when Buck and Aikman do a game, you can tell the difference. I like Harlan on the radio, but um, the winner on this one was Nance and Romo by far. About 50% of the respondents went Nance and Romo, although... I thought Romo yesterday was rough. Maybe not his strongest day. No, it was not one of his stronger games. I'll tell you who I can't stand and should never do another game again. Bill Walton. <laughs> I'm done. Done with that. Done. I don't it's think garbage. I... I haven't even seen him do a game in so long. I can't well, even... Well, he's doing like the Maui Invitational. He was on at noon this morning when I'm trying to have some coffee, get my day started out listening to him and the nonsense he's spitting out. All right, uh, real quick. Best NFL play-by-play announcer. What's the winner? 32% Al Michaels. Best NFL color analyst. 70% Tony Romo. All right, coming up on the other side, we got more Anytime Hotline calls. We'll so throw some random results out there as well. Sports Bash continuing on this Monday. Eagles-Seahawks tonight right here on 97.3 ESPN. And don't forget... Casey Joyner, 520.